good evening. If you're visiting with us, uh, we started a kind of a mini-series last Sunday morning called The C-Team. Um, if you've seen the title for the lesson tonight, The C-Team Moses, that's not like a bad dad joke about crossing the Red Sea. It's just he's a part of the team. That's all that meant. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3 tonight because we're going to be in Exodus 3 and 4 uh, for our time together. This series we started last week, uh, by way of reminder, was about how God uses ordinary, average people. Uh, We sometimes look in Scripture at men and women, and we see their faith, and we think, we sometimes look at them like they're some supernatural people, or they are, you know, greater than man themselves, and yet, in reality, they are just like you and I, ordinary, average people. That's why we call them the C team, just like your report card in school. Average. People who, uh, just average kind of people. Those are the ones God uses. And we talked about last Sunday how God uses the weak and what is low in the world to shame the strong and the wise. And uh, today, as we looked at the apostles last week, we're going to look at one individual of Moses. Uh, as we look at Moses, you might think of the high points of his life, the mountaintop experiences, uh, the guy who went into Egypt, and God worked through him with the ten plagues and crossed the Red Sea, the man that was given the covenant uh, from God himself on top of Mount Sinai, the one who led them uh, up almost into the point of the promised land. And you think, wow, that's a great leader, a great man. But what we come to find out in Scripture, when we go all the way back to the beginning of Moses, is he is an average, ordinary person, filled with weakness, plenty of flaws, and yet God still used him to accomplish great things. And that's a good message for you and I. And so uh, as we look at Moses, uh, we're going to look at this conversation that God has with Moses uh, in the burning bush setting. And we're not going to focus on the burning bush aspect of it, although that's incredible and awesome. Uh, We're going to look at the conversation because what you find is, is as God calls Moses to go to Egypt, Moses makes a lot of excuses. Uh, He has a lot of responses, some that have some merit to them, some that maybe don't, we'll look at those, but he gives five responses to God about why I think you've got the wrong guy. I think you're sending the wrong person to do this, and we're going to look at what God says in response to him and make some application for our life. So first look at Exodus chapter 3 and read verse 7 with me. Out of the burning bush says, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Skip down to verse 9. It says, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that sets the stage. God is calling Moses, I want you to go into Egypt, I want you to lead my people out. I've heard of their suffering, I know they're enslaved, I've seen, the, I've seen it, I've heard the cries that I remembered. I remember the covenant and the promise I made to their forefathers, I'm going to deliver them. And after he calls Moses, or he commissions Moses, uh, Moses gets to work on the reasons why God's asking uh, the wrong person. And so as you look, uh, the first excuse we see or response is in verse 11 and 12. Read verse 11 and 12 with me. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. We'll actually pause at verse 11. The first excuse or response you see if you're taking notes is essentially what Moses says is you've got the wrong guy. God, you've got the wrong guy. By the way, imagine telling that to God. Hey, God, I think you're mistaken. Um, but God, you got the wrong guy. Uh, I like to watch sports. You, you, read, you heard some of that last week. Uh, athletes have a weird way of bragging and celebrating. Um, they always have. They continue to. One of the things you see guys saying today is they'll say, I'm him. I know that makes no sense to us, but they scream out like, I'm him. And they mean like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the great one. Like, look how awesome I am and talented I am. This is the reverse of that, where Moses is saying, like, I, I'm not him. Okay, I'm not that guy, pal. That's a meme for kids under the age of 25. They'll get that. You might not. But he says, I'm not that guy. You've got the wrong guy. And there's plenty of reasons when it comes to Moses that he would maybe think that. Uh, if you understand Moses' story, you would know he's murdered a man. He's a murderer before this. Uh, he was born in Egypt when there was a new Pharaoh who did not have favor with Joseph or a relationship with the Israelites. In fact, he thought they were a threat, that they could easily overtake them with someone else's help. And so uh, that Pharaoh decides he's going to kill the firstborn of the Hebrew men. And Moses' mother gives him up for adoption in a very unique way, you know, putting him in this reed basket along uh, the Nile River. And the, the mother who would then pick up Moses and take care of him was none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And so Pharaoh's daughter raises up Pharaoh for 40 years of his life, uh, essentially in Pharaoh's household. And it says after 40 years, Pharaoh goes out. He sees his brothers, his Israelite brothers being oppressed. He gets angry at this instance. He watches a taskmaster or an owner uh, just oppress one of his brothers. And so he kills the man. And people know about it. And he fears. And so he, he flees. And so one reason Moses would say, I'm the wrong guy for this is, one, I'm a murderer. I, I, I'm a sinful man. I've done some terrible things. I think you have the wrong guy. Another excuse might be, well, I've already failed at being a deliverer. You want me to go into Egypt and help deliver a people? I've already tried to deliver my brothers in a way from oppression, and I failed at that. Another excuse would be, well, I am Hebrew, but I'm also an Egyptian. I don't know if I'm the best candidate. Another excuse would be, I'm 80 years old. God called Moses when he was 80. You can divide Moses' life up into 40-year periods. You have the first 40 years in Egypt. You have 40 years after he flees. And then the last 40 years of his life are going back into Egypt and then leading Israel out of, out of Egypt into the, close to the promised land. And so he says, I'm 80. I'm a little old to be a deliverer. I don't know maybe if that's uh, what he would think, but it's possible that God, I, I'm not the young guy maybe you're looking for to, to conquer somebody. He might even think, I'm not special. When he talks to Moses here, when he encounters Moses, Moses had been taking care of sheep as a shepherd. Uh, they weren't his own sheep. They were his father-in-law's. Moses might be like, hey, I don't have a lot to my name. Uh, I don't even have my own sheep. Like These are, these are my wife's uh, father's sheep. I don't even have that. I, there's nothing special about me. And I think what he's essentially telling God here by saying, I think you've got the wrong guy. I think he's saying, hey, I'm not good enough for this calling. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt wholly inadequate for a task that has seemed to be placed before you? Nobody knows our weakness like ourselves. Isn't that true? Like, you know your spouse and your kid's weakness to a degree. You know some other people's struggles and, and their weakness. But 
in reality, the person that you know their weakness best is yourself. Because you deal with it every day. And Moses is saying, I know all my weaknesses, Lord. Um, and I, I'm not good enough or strong enough to fulfill this purpose you have for me. I, we might say it like, I'm weak and not good enough to raise these kids the way you want me to. I don't know if I'm good enough to minister. I don't know if I'm good enough to talk to my friends about Jesus. I don't know if I'm the qualified person to serve in this way. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I went to preaching school. I graduated when I was 21. I, I started my first full-time work as a youth minister in Elk City, Oklahoma. And I, I look back at those days and laugh because I was old enough to be in a youth ministry, let alone be a youth minister. And they're like, I'm thinking back to those days of, I had no idea what I was doing. And yet God had called me to serve young people and help families and parents. And uh, I should have been in a youth ministry. I, I was so young. I didn't know much. And I felt inadequate and weak often. And I still do in ministry. About every week, there is something that comes along and I think, I, I don't know if I'm good enough to be doing this or whatever the situation has come up uh, that I'm supposed to minister in. And Moses feels that way. I'm sure all of us have felt that way at times. Uh, you know, I'm the wrong guy. But God knew the type of man Moses was, and yet he still called him. God knew all of his weaknesses, and he still called him because he wanted to work through them. And God's response here reveals why we can serve him despite our weakness. Look at verse 12. In response, he said, I will be, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you brought, have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I love what he says there. But I will be with you. What you will come to find out in this whole section is about every time Moses comes up with an excuse, in some way or, or another, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Notice, God does not say, Moses, you're a very strong individual. No, Moses, you're very talented. Moses, you're going to do great. He says, I will be with you. Because he wants him to focus on not himself, but God. It's God who gives, gets the glory. It's God who deserves the credit because it is God is the one making these things to happen. And so God emphasizes strength and power, Moses, come from me. And these results that are going to be accomplished, it's because of me. And yes, I, I need you to go, but I can use anybody. But I want you. But he says over and over again in this text, I'm with you. I will be with you. If God is on your team, or better, maybe better said, if you go with God... You are strong enough to do whatever he has called of you. If you'll follow him, he will lead you through whatever purpose or task you may have. And so he's telling Moses, don't focus on your weakness. Focus on my strength. Focus on me. So one excuse was simply, hey, I think you got the wrong guy. I'm not good enough. But then the second one comes in verse 13. Uh, read verse 13 with me through verse 15. Right, we'll just read 13. Uh, it says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel... And say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And so excuse number two, or response number two here for, for Moses is, God, I don't know what to say. Uh, we might say that today as, I don't know enough. God, I don't know enough. I'm not sure how to respond to that. I don't know what to say. If I go to, to Israel and they ask me about you, what do I even say? Who are you? How do I explain this to them? And... You know, God, forget how to say it. I don't have all the answers. I don't think I'm the one to go because I, I don't know enough. Um, there's been plenty of times I'll, in my ministry, I know, where 
I have felt wholly inadequate to answer certain questions or to deal in certain situations. And I'm like, I don't know enough for this. There's that woman who's lost her husband and needs comfort. And it's like, what do you say? And there's probably nothing to say. And maybe it's better off not trying to answer that. There's an addict who's tried over and over again to get clean and they're struggling to make changes. What do you say? There's the married couple who's fighting and on the brink of divorce. What do you say? We were talking about that earlier, right? To the parent who's having a hard time with their child. What do you say? And I get some of these are funny too because unmarried and don't have kids. It's like, what do you say? It's not our job to give them something from ourselves. It's our job to give them the answers God shares with us. God gives us something to say. Um, And here God responds by answering this concern and giving him words to speak. Uh, We can tell them what God says. Look at verse 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And then he goes on for the rest of the chapter to give more instruction to Moses on what to say. Moses, Moses is told to say, I am who I am. Uh, Marty referenced that this morning as the tetragrammaton, which is a fancy word. Essentially, this is, this is the first time that God ever calls himself this. You know, there's names for God. This is the first time, and it means I am who I am. It, he describes himself here as being the eternal, always, always being, always powerful God. And he says, you tell them I am has sent me. And I just want you to understand, once again, Moses doubts, but once again, God assures him in a similar way, I am has sent you to them. I'm with you. I'm sent you. Now, God doesn't speak to you and I in the same way he spoke to Moses, and we understand that, but he has spoken to us. He has given us words to share. And listen, we need to dig into it. We need to understand it if we're going, since we're responsible with sharing it to people. But God has not asked us to share something and then let us let us go without the words to give. Uh, we have something to share with people. He's provided for our concerns. And so if we ever feel like God can't use us because we don't know enough or we don't know what to say, God's answered that for you and I. Now, we have to put some effort into that. But at the same time, you will never, you will never be able to perfectly word the answers from Jesus. You'll never be able to say it better than Jesus did. You'll never be able to say it better than God did. Sometimes you wonder if you said it in the right way or if you, if you gave the right answer. But yet God has given to us the material that we need to share with people when we serve and lead. And so when he says, hey, I don't know enough, or I don't know how to say it, or I don't know what to say, God says, I have a remedy for that too. Uh, just flip to chapter 4 or just look over at chapter 4 and, and see excuse number 3 in verse 1. In verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And so response or excuse number three, which, by the way, I love this. It's like every, you ever do this with your kids? You ask them to do something, and they're like, but what about, but what about, and this is Moses right now to God. Just, there's another excuse every time. And the third one is, hey, nobody will believe me. You want me to walk into this group of people and claim that you spoke to me and I saw a burning bush. Uh, God, that sounds a little crazy, even for a people who had plenty of history with prophets or who have seen God speak to people. How am I going to confirm this? And God hears that, and God answers. Look at verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. He's scared of snakes too. That's biblical if you're scared of snakes. 
But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. God here answers his concern. And he gives them three miracles to prove that he was sent from God. The staff, the leprous cloak, uh, the pouring of water into turning it into blood. Uh, and I think there's a parallel here for you and I. We think nobody would believe us for what we would share with them. Why would they believe me of all people? Why would they believe me when I tell them about God or Jesus? Why would they listen to me? Please understand this. Your goal is not to get people to believe you. That is not your goal. Your goal is for them to believe God. And, by, and you do that by pointing them to what God says, not by trying to answer it on your own. Our job is to point them back to the words of Jesus. How they respond to us, that's really incorrect. They're not, if they accept or deny what we say or reject it, they're really rejecting or accepting God, not us. Our job is to point them back to the words of God. We should allow His words to work in their life. It's not about our power. It's about the power of this message. This message of the cross is so powerful that it can change the lives of people through its words. Uh, You know, you and I didn't have to be at the cross. We didn't have to be at the empty tomb. We didn't have to sit across a table from Jesus to see his miracles to come to belief. You know, blessed are we who believe without seeing. It was the message that we understood to be true. People will believe in that same message today. and They don't need some grand sign or gesture. They simply need these words. So point them back to them at every chance you get. But when he says, hey, they won't believe me, God answered that concern too. Look at excuse number four in verse 10. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Uh, Excuse number four, hey, I'm not a great public speaker. Thank you for not amening that this this evening. Um, I I figured one of you would. I thought Mike would, but he didn't. Uh, So, amen. (laughs) I'm not a great public speaker. Is what Moses says. By the way, I don't. We don't know if Moses actually was a bad public speaker. He says this about himself. You ever met someone who, out of humility, does not talk about their gifts? Like you go up to someone, you're like, "Hey, you did a great job," and they're like, "Ah, you know." Uh, I'm not, no, I wasn't very good, or that's not my gift. It could be that Moses actually had some ability, maybe, but possibly not. I just say sometimes we think we're not gifted enough or talented enough to do something, and our issue isn't ability, it's experience. I went to preacher training camp, and I won't name names, but one of our boys said, you know, I'm kind of introverted, and I'm not a public speaker, and this is not my thing, and I'm not good at it. And then I listened to him preach. And when he, as he started preaching, another one of my friends who's a counselor turned around and said, dude, this is really good. 
And I told that boy afterwards, like, you might think you're not talented, but that doesn't mean you are. Sometimes we say, I'm not good at this, or I don't have the ability, and it's, no, you have it. You just haven't worked on it, or used it, and you need experience. But here's another truth, that maybe Moses is a bad public speaker. Um, Maybe he really is. Maybe he's fearful, maybe he's scared, and he's not very good. Here's good news for Moses. God can do great things through bad speakers. God can can have great results from bad public speakers. And he's been using bad public speakers for a long time. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in the first five verses. He reminded the Corinthians of this. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And here it is. And my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I I love that. One of the best ministers or ministries this earth has ever seen, one of the most powerful preachers, uh, some of the best sermons ever given, were by a man who says, I'm not a very good public speaker. We tend to think preachers are as good as their stage presence and the type of words they use and how... Uh, how they organized the sermon and the illustrations and the stories. And Paul said, yeah, you know, when I spoke to you, I just shared truth with you. I shared Jesus and his message and what he's done on the cross. And that's what worked in your life. Uh, The best preachers you know steal this guy's material every week. And he wasn't a good public speaker. Moses might have been a bad public speaker. And the good news for Moses is it wasn't about his talent or ability. It was about God's. It was about God is able to do all these things. I love what God says to Moses again in verse 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Hey, did I not make your mouth, Moses? I think I know if you can speak or not. I know you can talk. I made your mouth. I know it has the ability. I know what you can do. I know your limitations. And I've still called you. It very, Moses could have went on this journey and not needed Aaron. God only provided Aaron because Moses seemed to be super resistant. And we see that in the next excuse or the next response. But he says, I know your ability, Moses. I know your mouth. I made it. I know you can speak and I will be with you. And so once again, notice every concern, every excuse for why God shouldn't use him, God reassured Moses. Every time God had an answer, he said, Moses, I can work in, I can work through, and I can work despite your weakness. And then you get to the last response of Moses. And this is the most interesting one. Look at verse 13. God's answered every every concern. And Moses says, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. Please send somebody else. Moses is just unwilling. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's the weakness. I don't know if it's the public speaking. But whatever whatever it was, he said, God, please pick anybody else, not me. And God wasn't very happy about that. Uh, if you look at verse 14 with me. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled. <laughs> the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. 
Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his, with his mouth, and he will, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you will do the signs. God answered every fear, every concern, every excuse, and even when he's unwilling, God continues to help. Even when he's unwilling and he has this last excuse of just, please, I don't want to do it in a way, he gives him another piece of help in his brother. There's a lot of reasons we might give to not answer the call of ministry. When I say the call of ministry, I don't mean this per se. All of us are ministers, whether you believe that or not. You all have a service to provide, a task to fulfill, a purpose to be working for, for the Lord in your life. And we might have excuses for why we can't, but God can work through every single one of those. And if we allow fear or desire or any reason to keep us from answering that call, you miss out and I miss out on blessings for a lifetime. Once again, think about all of the things Moses would have missed if he didn't go. The ten plagues. Don't you want to see that many frogs? No, so he said no. The Red Sea. He would never have witnessed that. Uh, the Ten Commandments. Hearing God's voice. Having those conversations in a tent. God could have done it with anybody. And yet he said, I'm going to pick that weak guy, Moses. Maybe the older, the guy who murdered a man, the person with nothing to his name, that weak individual who's afraid to speak in public, who doesn't know enough, who doesn't know how to speak. All of that. I, I want to pick that guy. We miss out if we're unwilling to move for God. And if we're unwilling, God is unhappy. And if anything maybe can motivate you and myself to move more in our life is when we're unwilling to move, God is unhappy. You remember what Isaiah said in response to God? He said, here I am, Lord, what? Is that our motto or are we more of a here I am, send somebody else? Because that's Moses. Here I am, Lord. But I would like to stay here, Lord. Please don't send me. Every single excuse Moses gave for why he didn't want to answer the call, God responded by saying, in some way or another, I will be with you. Once again, he didn't tell Moses how strong he was or talented he was or how he would do it on his own. He continually reminded him, I'm going to be with you. The I am is going to be with you. That's a promise he gave to Moses. It's a promise he gave to his successor in Joshua. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise he gave to his disciples as he left this earth. It's a promise he still gives his people today. Whatever our fears, our concerns, our weaknesses, God is greater than those. You can preach, speak, lead, and serve in spite of those issues because of him. Whatever that role may be, whether that's your children in your home, your spouse... Uh, up here, men, like that, uh, teaching a class, working with little kids in a classroom, uh, whether that's helping people in need in our community, in your schools as a teacher, shining a light in various ways, whatever your weakness, God can use those. God can use those. Uh, please never forget who's with you in this life, who helps you and your work in the kingdom. You are not doing this alone. It is not up to your ability. God is not asking us to be or sorry, God is not asking to be in our story. He is allowing us to be a part of His. 
And it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about who's with us. God called a weak, reluctant, fearful, and broken mess in Moses to lead his people. And God did unimaginable through him. God is calling the same kind of people today to use them for the same kind of results. When we allow our weakness to keep us from serving, we're not only doubting ourselves, we doubt God. I don't know if we look at it that way. But when we, when we allow our concerns about ourselves to keep us from doing for God and being a doer, we're really saying something about our faith in God, aren't we? Because God looks at us and wants to use us. And He says, I want you to go. And you say, I'm not good enough. And we're disagreeing with God. We, we're telling God we doubt you. We need to have trust and faith that God knows who He's sending and He knows us. This conversation we've read tonight, it should teach us to trust Him and to allow Him to use us for whatever He can. If you get a chance in the near future to work for Jesus in a way that scares you to death, I pray you'll do it. I pray you'll do it scared. That's the motto. I I shared this with our boys at preacher training camp one day. Uh, And my motto was for them was, do it scared. It will never get normal until you do it scared. That's a lot of Christianity, isn't it? Be uncomfortable until it gets a little more uncomfortable. I pray you'll do it scared. My first Devo... I prepared over and over again. I thought it would be 10 minutes. It lasted 30 seconds. Some of you are like, can we have one of those soon? Uh, It took time to get used to things. Standing in front of people, teaching a class, talking to someone one-on-one. That's scary. Going and visiting someone in the hospital, scary. But the more you do it, the more experience you get. I don't want to say necessarily the you'll get better at it, but you'll still never be perfect at it. But it's God who works through you. And so my prayer is that in your life you'll do it scared. I don't know what challenge that will be. But I imagine God will have something for you in your life. He'll give you an opportunity to work, lead, or serve. And it might be intimidating or scary or uncomfortable. And I pray you'll do it scared. And so look for that in your life this week and the coming weeks. And when you see that and you want to say, ah, no, not, that's better for someone else. Remember, God can use even you. And he wants to. Average ordinary people, he changed the world with them and he still wants to do it today. I appreciate your attention tonight and, and this evening if, if you have a need of any kind, it might be that you're never, you've never put on Christ in baptism. It might be that you've never responded to his gospel invitation and you're not even a part of the C team in a way. Uh, we can help you do that tonight. It might be that you have some struggles going on in your life, uh, things that are hurting you, your family, your loved ones, struggles maybe. Uh, in all different areas of your life. We would love to pray with you and encourage you and just give you a shoulder to cry on or or a good brotherly hug. Uh, But we love you. If you have a need of any kind, uh, let us help you right now as we stand and as we sing.